This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to ParCast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal con artists episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the ParCast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular ParCast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness, and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find the original episodes of these for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Today, we're discussing cases of abduction and examining some of the most infamous kidnappings throughout true crime history. Abductions often bring to mind a certain stereotypical image, perhaps a child being lured into an unmarked van or a predator crawling into a woman's room while she sleeps. But what if there's more to it than just strangers with candy? In reality, abductions occur everywhere and can happen to anyone. The tactics and motivations of the criminals behind them are often varied and complex. Psychologist Diana M. Concanon categorizes abductions into four types, predatory, profit, political, and revenge. Predatory kidnappings are often what we think of in those stereotypical scenarios. These abductions are almost always sexually motivated and tend to be committed by men who target female victims they don't know or don't know well. But not every abduction is driven by sexual intention, and the dynamic doesn't necessarily have to include a male abductor and a female victim. Revenge kidnappings, for instance, are not typically gender-specific and are motivated by a desire to seek retribution. These abductions typically happen when the victim or someone close to the victim has slighted or upset the captor in some way. However, like predatory kidnappings, the objective of the abduction is malicious and done for the sake of harming another person. But this isn't the case for many abductions. In fact, most are carried out as a means to an end, or larger objective. 
For instance, profit kidnapping is described by Dr. Kincannon as abductions carried out in the hope of securing a ransom, typically money, for the safe return of the victim. Profit kidnappers typically target public figures or the wealthy, anyone they believe could provide them leverage in a potential negotiation situation. Similarly, profit kidnapping is closely related to political kidnapping. Though the targets of political kidnappings tend to be similar, their objectives differ. Instead of profit, political kidnappers aim to spark political unrest or draw attention to a cause. However, like profit kidnapping, political kidnapping is a means to an end. The true objective of the abduction is using them as a tool in order to obtain some connected goal, rather than gaining control of the victim alone. In our clips today, we'll discuss these types of abductions in detail and see how these motivations, whether sadistic or ideological, play out through some of the most infamous criminal cases. We'll begin with a clip from ParCast Original's Serial Killers, covering one of America's most notorious murderers, Ted Bundy. Bundy became a household name in the 1970s after abducting and killing dozens of women across the country. Because Ted Bundy was a lust killer, his murders and thus his abductions were sexually motivated, making Bundy the perfect example of a predatory kidnapper. Dr. Concadden explains that predatory kidnappers typically abduct their victims either through physical force or deception. Bundy, however, used both. He was infamous for his charisma and good looks, making him especially adept at luring his victims. However, these attributes hardly mattered when the killer decided to attack in the dead of night. When his victims were unconscious, there was no need for persuasion or pleasantries. Bundy was free to unleash the monster underneath the charming facade. And in 1974, with the kidnapping and murder of Linda Healy, Ted Bundy demonstrated just how depraved he really was. This time, Ted had a new plan. He wasn't going to murder Linda in her bedroom and risk being caught. Instead, he abducted her. With Linda out cold, Ted removed her now bloodstained nightgown and dressed her in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. He then made her bed, concealing her bloody sheets, and carried her away. Where Ted took Linda next is unclear. Wherever it was, he raped her and murdered her. Then he left her body on the side of Taylor Mountain, over 30 miles east of Seattle. It was a horrific sequence of events, the first performance of a routine that Ted would repeat dozens of times. But Linda Healy's disappearance wasn't just the beginning of Ted's bloodlust. It was also the start of a massive investigation. The next morning, when Linda failed to show up to the radio station to broadcast her daily ski report, her co-workers knew there was something amiss. Linda would never just not show up to work. She was a responsible girl, bright, successful, and well-known in the community, not the kind of college student to disappear into thin air. The authorities expected foul play from the very beginning. When police searched Linda's bedroom, they found several items missing, including a few pieces of Linda's clothes and her house keys. Mysteriously, the back door was also left unlocked, something Linda's roommates insisted she had never done before. 
when detectives peeled back the sheets on her perfectly made bed, they discovered a small blood stain. Upon further investigation, they found Linda's blood-soaked nightgown in the closet. It was clear now, someone had taken Linda Healy. It was all too familiar to the Seattle PD. They had seen a crime just as brutal barely a month before and only blocks away, the attempted murder of Karen Sparks. Finally, the police had made a connection, but it would be months before the investigation would gain traction. Following that clip from Serial Killers, we see Bundy use physical violence to abduct Linda Healy in the dead of night. And Linda wouldn't be Bundy's last sleeping victim. He would go on to attack other women while they slept, years after. However, most of Bundy's victims were abducted not while unconscious and through physical force, but via his unique ability to charm them into trusting him. He could lure his victims into his car without the use of a weapon or threats. He simply set the trap, and they stepped inside. But what happens when the captor isn't just one charismatic man, but an entire band of armed and violent criminals? In our next clip from ParCast original Female Criminals, we'll discuss the abduction of Indian outlaw Poulan Davy. But before she was the bandit queen, Davy was a low-caste woman who was married off as a child bride to an abusive older man. Davy endured nearly a year of sexual and physical abuse before escaping at age 12. But her suffering was only just beginning. When she returned to her village, she was turned away. Her family claimed that by abandoning her husband, she'd shamed them. She spent the next four years as an outcast, enduring endless gossip, brutal rapes, and imprisonment for a crime she possibly did not commit. And so when her village was raided by a violent gang of bandits and Davy was taken, she had little chance to escape. Her only objective was to survive. Some accounts say that Fulan's family received a letter from the gang, threatening to kidnap her or cut off her nose as punishment for the indiscretions of which she had been accused. Others suggest her cousin Maya Din, or his father, paid the bandits to take her, and yet others claim she left the village of her own accord. Fulan said she agreed to let them kidnap her when the bandits threatened to take her brother instead. Either way, the end result was the same. In 1979, a group of men armed with assault rifles came after Fulan. Just after midnight, they took her from the village. She was forced deep into the labyrinthine ravines that trail across Uttar Pradesh like fine spiderwebs. The bandit leader, Babu Gujar, was as cruel as his reputation suggested. For three days, he raped and tortured her to prove his power over her. Rape has been used as a political tool since before the rule of Genghis Khan, and it is still used today to bend women, communities, and cultures into submission. Amnesty International has begun keeping records of sexual war crimes carried out across the world, from the Japanese comfort women of World War II to army and paramilitary groups in Colombia using sexual violence against rebels, to allegations against the United States of sexual abuse against prisoners in Guantanamo Bay. It is a ubiquitous and horrible human rights violation that happens almost everywhere in the world. 
And though perpetrators often try to claim that the woman's sexuality or potential sexuality somehow led to their rape, sexual gratification is rarely the true reason rape is carried out. Reports by Doctors Without Borders and Amnesty International state that systematic rape is often used as part of the strategy of ethnic cleansing, allowing one ethnic group to redraw ethnic boundaries and exert social control over another. It's rarely about the woman, but instead about what she represents. Women take care of their communities. So to break down those communities, oppressors break their women. After torturing Fulan, Babu Gujar yanked her from man to man in the gang, asking who wanted a taste of the Sudra woman. You might recall that Sudra, or Shudra, is the name given to the laborer caste in India. As it had always been in her life, Fulan's caste dictated even how she could be treated when kidnapped by bandits. Hope of escape was useless. She was considered a ruined woman, after all one who had lingered too long at the fringes of a society that had rejected her. There's no indication that anyone in Fulan's village tried to rescue her. As we learn from that clip from Female Criminals, while the exact objective behind Davy's kidnapping is unclear, it was likely politically or ideologically motivated. As a member of the Sudra, Devi represented India's lower caste, and taking her prisoner and abusing her was symbolic of a greater cultural tension in India at the time. These actions sent a very clear message about the Sudra people's place among other castes. Babu Gujar most likely used Devi's abuse as a reminder to his men about where they fell on India's ancient hierarchy and what could happen lest they forget. It was a brutal introduction to Davy's new life among bandits. But soon, she would turn the tables. After Babu Gujar was murdered by one of his men, another member of the lower caste, Davy would slowly gather more power in the gang until finally assuming control herself. She would continue to lead the band of outlaws for years until an infamous village massacre in 1981. Pulan Davies' kidnapping demonstrates how abductions can be representative of a larger social or cultural idea. But what about when a captor's motivations are less abstract? What happens when it's all about money? Coming up, we discuss the 1963 profit kidnapping of Frank Sinatra Jr. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the show. So far, we've seen abduction cases fueled purely by sexual sadism and those used to send a political or cultural message. But sometimes, kidnappings are carried out not so much out of pleasure or principle, but for the sake of cold, hard cash. In our final clip from Parkast original Hostage, we'll delve into the circumstances surrounding the infamous kidnapping of Frank Sinatra Jr., the son of legendary crooner Frank Sinatra. 
1963, 19-year-old Frank Jr., an aspiring singer himself, was kidnapped from his hotel room in Lake Tahoe, where he was performing at a local casino. But his captors weren't interested in brutalizing the young Sinatra or sending a gruesome message. They wanted Frank Sr. to pay a steep ransom for his son's safe return, to the tune of what would amount to over $2 million today. It was a classic case of profit kidnapping, but the captors' best laid plans would go awry. Barry's idea was to make the kidnapping seem like a robbery gone wrong, to cover up his premeditation and confuse the police. They wouldn't know to look for someone with a relationship to the Sinatra family if they thought the kidnappers were just a couple of garden-variety muggers. Continuing the performance, Barry acted as if he was about to leave the dressing room, then changed his mind and announced he'd be taking one of the men with him. He addressed Junior as you with the dark hair, as if he had no idea he was looking at Frank Sinatra Jr. in the flesh. Of course, this made no sense. Junior's name was displayed in lights on the casino's marquee. Nobody would ever believe that a couple of muggers wandered in with no idea who was playing that night and just happened to kidnap a Sinatra. The two amateur kidnappers tied John Foss up with adhesive tape and ordered him not to move for 10 minutes. Then they left with Junior and without Barry's gun. Barry, blushing, had to go back to the dressing room to retrieve the gun. His nerves had already gotten the best of him five minutes into the kidnapping. Perhaps if it hadn't been for his belief that God had blessed this mission, he would have given up right then and there. Somehow, Barry and Joe managed to spirit Junior and the gun out of the dressing room and into their car. They laid him down on the back seat and covered his eyes. The snow was falling faster now, and Barry was worried about leaving Tahoe before John Foss could get the cops on his tail. Their one saving grace, John had no way of knowing what kind of car they were driving. But a trussed-up Sinatra in the back seat would look pretty suspicious. Barry made a split-second decision to do something that wasn't in the plan. Ask for the victim's cooperation. Barry turned around and explained the situation to his hostage. If they wanted to leave Tahoe without running into a hail of police bullets, they'd have to look like a trio of friends just out for a pleasant drive. He'd picked the right guy. Frank Jr. wasn't exactly upset about the robbery. As a matter of fact, the 19-year-old was totally unafraid of his captors. He quickly agreed to play along, believing that he was only going to be held hostage long enough for the muggers to escape with $20. Probably the only person willing to believe that Barry had no idea who he'd robbed was their victim. Junior sat up, cheerfully introduced himself, and even suggested that Barry take his iconic signet pinky ring. If he kept it on, somebody might recognize him. It might seem odd to us peons that a ring could be so recognizable as to give Junior away, but the ring was famous and easily recognizable at the time, especially given that Junior was slated to sing a concert just a few miles up the road.
In that clip from our hostage episode on the abduction of Frank Sinatra Jr., after a few mishaps, the abductor's confidence was already shaken, and soon their plans would unravel altogether. When two of the abductors went to the agreed drop-off point to retrieve the ransom, one of the kidnappers got nervous. He released Frank Jr. and sabotaged their entire plan. Once Frank Jr. was safe, the FBI recovered most of the ransom money, and soon three of the abductors were found and arrested. But though the authorities thought they were dealing with a gang of run-of-the-mill criminals trying to make a quick fortune, they discovered money wasn't their only goal. The mastermind behind the kidnapping, Barry Keenan, was actually deemed criminally insane. A severe addiction to painkillers had led Keenan to develop a psychiatric condition that caused him to hear voices. And in this case, the voices told him to kidnap Frank Sinatra Jr. The double motivation of money and a holy mission dictated by God made the abduction of Frank Sinatra Jr. a fascinating case. Though it doesn't fit neatly into Dr. Kincannon's definition of profit kidnapping, it exemplifies the often complex motives behind a criminal's decision to carry out such an elaborate, high-risk crime. The abduction cases we discussed in today's clips range in their intent and vary in their methods, from the violent, lust-fueled kidnappings of Ted Bundy to the Indian bandit's sadistic yet ideological abduction of Pulan Devi, while some, like the kidnapping case of Frank Sinatra Jr., are less straightforward in their objectives. But no matter the motivation behind these abductions, the emotional toll they take on their victims cannot be underestimated. Psychologist Francis A. Aquash describes kidnapping as one of the most psychologically damaging crimes that can culminate in years of trauma requiring extensive therapy. And some victims, like those of Ted Bundy, don't even get the chance to live through the aftermath. Thanks for tuning in to Parcast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on abduction. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode on craziest trials. What pieces of evidence were introduced? And what motives and alternate theories did the attorneys come up with? If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our ParCast original shows, Crimes of Passion, Cults, Hostage, Serial Killers, or Female Criminals on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next time.